Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you this morning, whether you're online or whether you're here in person. Welcome, as Sue said a few moments ago, to the season of Advent. This is for many the most wonderful time of the year. For some of you, maybe it's the most difficult time of the year. For some, maybe you're just kind of, it's a mixed bag. There's some good and some bad. But I want to challenge you this Advent season, more than Amazon and Target and the Franklin Park Mall, more than those Christmas parties that are filling your calendar and all the hubbub and activities and trying to find the worst, most ugly sweater to wear at said parties, all the things going on, I want to challenge you to think about what this season's really all about. I know we say, Jesus is the reason for the season. It's almost become cliche. And yet, what this time of year really is, is a celebration of the birth of Christ. Santa has kind of co-opted it. The malls have certainly ripped it off. But the reality is, this is a season, a time in which we pause and we reflect on Jesus. It's one of two times a year where you can actually say Jesus or you hear his name in modern culture without it being a swear word, which is rather refreshing, I think. But this season, this time of Advent, it, it, as Sue said, it's a, it's a word that means coming. Uh, coming, or you might say arrival. Advent is all about arrival, anticipation for the coming. For hundreds of years, prophets spoke of a coming Messiah, the promised deliverer of the Jews. And this season celebrates his arrival about 2,000 years ago. Now, you may be thinking, if he already came, why are we looking back in time? There's actually two times where Jesus is visiting our planet. The first time he came as a baby. The second time he's coming back as a lion and a lamb, uh, really a lion on a, a white horse. He promised to return. He said, I'm coming back soon. And scripture says a day is like a thousand years. So it's only been about two days. Some of you are like, soon, not by my timetable. See, we're in this in-between the first arrival, the first coming of Jesus, and the second coming of Jesus, an arrival that we eagerly anticipate. Just this morning, I was listening to a devotional, and it was reading through that beautiful passage that tells us that one day there will be no more death, no more sorrow. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be more, no more taxes. There will, will be no pain and suffering. This is what we have to look forward to, family. Great things are ahead. In fact, I say the best is yet to come. And I believe it 100%. I want to challenge you as we think about his first coming to also think about his second coming. As we look back and we look forward, we're in this awkward in-between. How many of you like transitions? Uh, transitions can... They're just, they're never all that, that fun. Whether you're leaving something horrible for something great that you're excited about, you just can't wait to get there. Every kid on every road trip has always asked the same question. Are we there yet? We don't like the, tra the transition. We want to get there. And some of us are unfortunately leaving. Maybe we've had transitions from really great things and we're anticipating something that is maybe a step down of one sort or another. This season where we think about Jesus, when we think about the Messiah, really 
it, it makes me reflect back not only on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four biographies, the four accounts, the Gospels are good news of Jesus, but Jesus is all over the Old Testament, and it's really important to understand that Jesus didn't just show up on the scene unannounced as a little baby, but actually there were over a hundred Old Testament prophecies that were uniquely fulfilled by the Messiah. That's one thing to predict something about a person, and, and you, can, you can kind of make up something like, oh, um, this, I wrote this, this story we found 200 years ago that a man named Kirk is going to be born. Okay, yeah, hey, I fit that. But it's much more difficult to have those words, those prophecies, if you will, describe where Kirk was born and how he would die and all these details about his life. See, one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about Jesus, why I'm so sure that the biblical story is legit, is because over a hundred prophecies predicted in great detail the coming of Jesus. And we're going to look at a few of those today. We're going to look at a few of these actually over these next few weeks throughout our Advent season. We're going to look at them through what may be the most amazing, beautiful music of all time, Handel's Messiah. I'm just curious, how many of you have experienced a full performance of Handel's Messiah? Okay, wow, quite a few of you. I have to tell you, this is a series I've been waiting about 20 years to do. I really hope you like it. Most of all, I hope Jesus likes it because he's the reason and the focus of this series. But for years, really going back to the, the first time that I saw the whole Handel's Messiah performed in Ann Arbor uh, at the University of Michigan, I was just amazed at the content of the lyrics. I mean, I knew the Hallelujah Chorus. Everyone knows Hallelujah Chorus. And I knew a few of the other songs. But to sit and witness the whole performance from start to finish was absolutely astonishing. And so we're going to perform the whole thing for you to... No, we're not going to do that. But we are going to give you exposure to several of the songs throughout the series. Now, the thing, one thing I noticed about the series, uh, about Handel's Messiah, is much of it pertains not to Christmas time, but actually to Easter. And so if all goes well during these five weeks of Advent, we're going to focus on the arrival of Christ, the incarnation, the stories related to Christmas during this series. If all goes well, we're going to finish Handel's Messiah at Easter time and do what's the second and third part of Handel's Messiah, unpacking the lyrics. So I just want to encourage you, if you have the recordings of Handel's Messiah, this would be a great time to listen to it, to soak it in. I'm going to talk about a few modern versions of it that you may find easier for those of you that maybe aren't into classical music so much. But I, I really want to use Handel's Messiah as a tool to help us look at some of these Old, Old Testament prophecies that predicted the Messiah. But first, I want to show you a video. It's about six minutes long, so sit back. Um, if you have popcorn, this is a good time to get it out. This gives you a little bit of background of the making of Handel's Messiah. Check it out. My dearest Handel, enclosed is the manuscript for the work we discussed when last we met. My mind has been occupied with little else in the preceding months, save this work alone and its importance. 
which I deem to be undeniable in our present time. Increasingly, I find those around me and in our society at large embracing an ideology that I find not only troublesome, but also rather dangerous. I need not remind you of my own brother, who became enamored with this teaching while at Oxford. I dare not suggest that this doctrine alone resulted in his decision to take his own life. But I do know that such thoughts must have offered little consolation when despair gripped his heart and clouded his thoughts. The question that plagues us is not new. Indeed, as I survey the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures, I find each of them addressing situations remarkably similar to our own. Human beings, it seems, since time immemorial, have been plagued by a powerful need to know the answer to this question. Does God act in our world, or are we left to our own devices? The present-day philosophers who call themselves deists say that we are, in fact, alone in this vast universe for all intents and purposes. If indeed there ever was a being whom we would call God, he has long since fled the scene. The Israelite prophets, and indeed the whole of the Christian scriptures, offer us a different answer. But this question must be answered in each generation. All of us are made to seek this out, to grope about blindly in search of the light. But we can only hope to illumine this truth for those in our own time. Upon us no burden is laid to answer it once and for all, but rather simply to testify to it with what limited wisdom and skill we are granted. To hold our meager candle high in defiance of the terror of this present darkness which we find ourselves in. Wiser and better men than I have set pen and paper to this task throughout the centuries. My shelves are lined with the fruits of their labor, great tomes of knowledge, theological treatises, and commentaries on God's holy word. For this reason it behooves me to enlist you, my friend, as a co-conspirator in crafting a different sort of response to this question. As you read through the manuscript, you will find that I have not added any words of my own, but simply gathered and organized various passages taken from that immeasurable source of light and life that we call the Bible. The incomparable text that, as the poet King David once wrote, was given to be a lamp unto our pathway as we make our pilgrim journey through this world. Primarily, I have utilized the words of the Hebrew prophets and the words of the New Testament as found in the English translation commissioned by King James over a hundred years ago, with the assistance of an older translation of the Psalms found within the prayer book. Yet more than simply what I have included, I wish to disclose to you the purpose that I set out to accomplish in crafting this manuscript. Simply, I have come to understand that there is no more suitable answer to the question of God's activity in our world than the person of Jesus Christ and his coming to earth. It was foreseen by the prophets and psalmists of old and witnessed by the authors of the gospel accounts. Upon this strong and mighty rock, my own commentary, however eloquent, 
could add nothing of value to the majestic and marvelous words of Holy Writ. But I believe you, O Handel, might through your music pay homage to the beauty of these words, not that they require anything to be proven beautiful, but perhaps your sweet melodies might, through the pure grace of God, rouse our deaf world by giving them ears to hear this message anew and eyes to see the goodness of God found within this story of the subject which excels every other subject, the good news of the one whom we call the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the light of the world, the light of all peoples, the light that shines in the darkness. Soli Deo Gloria, your dear friend, Charles Jennings. all these scriptures together, gave the manuscript to Handel, and Handel composed all this music in a span of about 24 days. It said that those nearby could hear him weeping as he was composing the melodies, awestruck by the power of God, the majesty of his word, and the privilege present to the world this beautiful presentation that has been performed for hundreds and hundreds of years all over the world. I hate cutoffs. I need to work on some, like a fade out here. Okay, so Isaiah is the first passage, the passage we're looking at today, Isaiah 41 through 5. If you have your Bible, this would be a great time to open it up. We're going to look at these five verses. Actually, three songs from Handel's Messiah come out of these five verses. Isaiah was a prophet hundreds of years before Christ. He wrote amazing prophecies, predictions, if you will, descriptions of the coming of the Messiah. Around 700 B.C. to be specific, he was writing. Now, the people understand the context of what we're about to read because it's really difficult to take Scripture out of context. I mean, it's easy to do it, but it misses the whole point. Here's the background. The people of Israel were struggling under the expansion of the Assyrian Empire. Can you think of any time in history where an empire has expanded? It's overtaken. It's it's moved across a border and taken people against their will. Like much of the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, themes of God's salvation and judgment abound. God goes to extraordinary lengths to show his love for humanity. And we typically take that response, we turn away from him, and then things go south. It's a pattern that you see over and over again in the Old Testament. You've seen it really since the beginning of humanity. A lot of you are going through Mission 119 with Pastor John Soper online. And he, he says this is the cycle. Israel forgets God. They forsake God. Then they start to worship other gods. 
Then God sends judgment upon Israel. Israel cries out to God. God raises up a deliverer. God saves Israel. Israel pledges to serve God. And then the cycle repeats. And they forget God and they forsake God and they go all the way down the line. Why don't we learn? I want to say to all of you this morning, where do you think you are in your personal journey? Never mind Israel, and America is not Israel, so don't insert USA here. Although you could say any nation probably has a similar pattern. But in your life, are you, this morning, are you pledging to serve God? Have you forgotten God? Are you forsaking God? Are you worshiping other gods? Are you experiencing the judgment of God? Maybe you're at the place where you're crying out to God, SOS, and he's going to raise up a deliverer and save you, and you'll be overjoyed at his provision until you forget him and go through this process again. It's human nature. I wish it wasn't true. I wish we could just be stuck on pledging to serve God. And Sundays we gather to be reminded of this. It's an opportunity for us as family to come together and worship and to recalibrate our minds against all the lies of the world, all the false gods that say it's all about you and money and sex and power and just truth is whatever you feel. And instead to pause for a moment and recalibrate, reset on truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So let's dive in. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort ye, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Whenever you look for something in Scripture and you see something repeated, take notice. It's really important. We just finished a series on the book of Philippians last week, and perhaps the most famous line says, Rejoice, and I say it again, rejoice, Paul says from prison. Kind of bizarre, writing about joy from prison. But he's trying to emphasize it because Hebrew did not have exclamation points or underlines. They certainly didn't have italics. And you know they didn't have font colors and all these. Uh, they didn't have emojis to try to get attention. So they would use this device of repetition to get the point across. Comfort, comfort my people. Ancient scrolls and languages, again, they did not have anything except this device. They had to literally spell it out. So God tells his people that they will be comforted in the midst of their bondage. Deliverance is coming, and it came most profoundly about 700 years later in the coming of the Messiah. So the first song is called Comfort Ye. I want to thank the Newark Glanville Symphony for the video clips that we've been able to use today and throughout this series. I realize some of you may not be fans of classical music, and that's okay. Maybe you will be by the end of the series. Just take a listen. Now, in 1990, a group of Christian singers and musicians came together for an updated version of the Messiah. 
which they simply called Handel's Young Messiah. Have any of you heard of Handel's Young Messiah? A couple of you? They actually did a, a nationwide tour. So I just want to give you a sample of Matthew Ward's version, kind of an updated version of Comfort Ye. Now, strangely, three years later, the new young Messiah came about. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's a story, but they got a different group of, uh, you might call them contemporary Christian music artists together, and they, they put similar arrangements, slightly different. Here's Wayne Watson, Comfort Ye, just a sample. get the idea. Now my favorite rendition of Handel's Messiah of all time is this album, Handel's Messiah, A Soulful Celebration. It came out in 1992 and Quincy Jones, some of you know that name, he produced the, the best-selling album of all time. Okay, music buffs, what's the best-selling album of all time? Thriller, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Quincy Jones got together a bunch of uh, gospel singers uh, and it's like an all-star cast of African-American artists ranging from Take Six and Diane Reeves to Patty Austin, Stevie Wonder, Al Jarreau, and the Richard Smallwood Singers. And here's Vanessa Bell Armstrong and Daryl Coley. See if you don't like this. Some of you are like, now that's more like it.
I just want to keep listening. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Jesus brings comfort to our lives, whatever the circumstances, family. If you've been around here any length of time, you know I'm a practical guy. I want to go right to the so what. Okay, this passage was written thousands of years ago. So what? Jesus brings comfort to our lives, whatever the circumstances. He's present through the Holy Spirit in the lives of every believer. Now, this is not the exact meaning or context of Isaiah, of course, but just as God was seeking to save and redeem and provide deliverance for the people of Israel, he never changes. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you reach out to him, he will reach out to you. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Family, I know a lot of you are going through some really, really rough times right now. Difficult circumstances, relationships, maybe physical bodies, finances, this is a messy, broken world. And I want to encourage you with these ancient words from Isaiah 40 that he is still in the comforting business. Do you need comfort today? Call out to Jesus. I want to just pause right now and give you a moment to cry out to Jesus just silently wherever you are, whether you're online or here in the sanctuary. I just want you to pause and reach out to God. Cry out to him today. Jesus, I thank you that you are the comforter. And I pray your peace, your blessing, your comfort on my brothers and sisters. In your powerful name, amen. Verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that their hard, her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she had received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Again, Jerusalem had been captive at this point for about 70 years. The trial was the result of their sin, but it's coming to an end. Now Isaiah speaks of John the Baptist. I love this passage. A New Testament figure who will come about 700 years later, and he says this, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's interesting, the book of Mark, the very first words of the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, say, say this very thing, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for, forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. See, these prophecies weren't just about Jesus. They were also about events and people and places surrounding the birth of Christ. Isaiah predicted the coming of John the Baptist and where he would live and, and how he would function out in the wilderness, preparing the way. So now we get to verse 4, and this is one of my favorites. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And if you're like, well, what is going on here? Raising and lowering was a metaphor for preparing a road for a dignitary. We might say, roll out the red carpet. There's someone special coming. Get ready. Prepare. Get ready for the Messiah, people. 
Isaiah said it then about his first arrival, and we can say these words today. People, prepare. He's coming back. He's coming soon. Get ready. Every valley will, shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. Get the red carpet ready. So here's how this sounds in the original recording. Okay, we're going to just skip right on to this. Get ready. but time our last verse for today and the glory of the lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the lord has spoken this is a beautiful passage i love these words i love the vision that someday the glory of the lord will be seen it'll be recognized every man woman and child will take notice one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus the messiah is lord and I can't wait for that day. The bottom line of First Alliance's mission statement is the glory of God. The glory of the Lord. That's why we're here. The bottom line is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about our building. It's not about our music team. It's about the glory of the Lord. These days, it seems like nobody's paying attention to the Lord Almighty. But just 
you wait. remember what era that was taken from right between the masks and, and the zoom calls so what today we wait for the return the second arrival of Jesus he's coming soon are you ready and are you helping others get ready actually God is with us now through the power of the Holy Spirit Emmanuel God with us is present in the life of every follower of Jesus it's amazing my prayer is that this season we would center ourselves on Jesus the Messiah. Rather than giving into fear, we can experience the Prince of Peace, the God of Comfort. I also want to encourage you to check out Handel's Messiah Live. The, uh, the Toledo Choral Society is performing it next weekend. There's some flyers at the Information Center. Uh, tickets are available. I'm going to go. I can't wait to experience it. It's been a long time for me. But even if you don't attend the actual performance next weekend, stream the music, watch videos on YouTube, maybe pick up Handel's Messiah, A Soulful Celebration, if you like that kind of music, which I deeply love. The music is beautiful. The lyrics, well, they're taken right from Scripture. So they're perfect. They're truth. The Advent story is beautiful and even has a present reality as we wait for the return of the king. Now we're going to close with one song today. It's not a particularly Christmassy song, but it's called Beautiful Things. God is an artist, and he saved his best work for the sixth day of creation when he created humans. As we like to say around here, though God has the ability to create beautiful things, his best was you and me. You are a masterpiece. And as we focus this Advent season on Handel's Messiah, maybe the greatest musical masterpiece of all time, I want you to know that you are far more valuable than any musical composition. You are more prized and treasured than the most valuable painting next door at the Toledo Museum of Art. That you matter. You are a masterpiece. You are a beautiful thing. And God loves you, and we love you.